Scripture this evening you'll find in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, I'll read the first 20 verses. Let's hear the word of our God. Now the serpent was, was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree, whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And the man said, The woman Whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon Thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, And thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread 
till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. So ends our reading this evening of God's holy, inspired, infallible word. There's a silver Ford Explorer, license plate 3NCU91, whose lights are on. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, and children too who are here tonight, I think you probably know what the word Advent means, or why we are in this season before we remember uh, Jesus' birth and coming into the world. The word Advent means coming. And so we know that our God is a coming God. We're going to see him come right after the fall to our first parents, Adam and Eve. He, he came in the fullness of time in the person Jesus Christ, who joined himself to our nature, and he's, Jesus is, coming again. He's, he's an Advent God. He's always on his way. And we know that for the first time Jesus came in the flesh, there was a certain sense within the Old Testament church of anticipation, a sense of desire, a sense of longing. We know that Simeon and Anna were waiting, as well as others, no doubt. We read for the consolation and redemption of Israel. And so I think the same question can be raised today. The time in which Jesus came, there were great political machinations, and there were Difficulties in society and in the world as there is today. We perhaps look over the past few years since the time of COVID or so and then coming into the next couple of years following COVID, we, we realize this world is filled with chaos. It's filled with distortion. It's filled with lies. It's, it's filled with confusion. Where's hope? Where's solution? Well, I trust tonight we will see that the church and the people of God are the ones who ought to be the most hopeful in all the world, and they ought to be, we ought to be living with this same expectancy and anticipation as Anna and Simeon. The Old Testament church was waiting for the Messiah. And we ought also to wait for him. Remember what Christ himself said. When you're being persecuted and you're suffering for my cause and my name's sake, lift up your heads for your redemption draws near. This is foretold even of the uh, time of Isaiah 25 verses 8 and 9. Isaiah said, he will swallow up death in victory and the Lord God will wipe away tears from off their faces And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. 
We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So awaiting people are an anticipating people who can do so with joy and gladness. Even when seemingly times of confusion are on us. And so what I want to do this evening is go back to the very beginning, to the first gospel promise, if you will, which is actually enclosed within the curse. We'll see that this is a curse spoken to the evil one, but it's filled with glorious truth about who our God is and even who he is, as we've heard this morning, as father. So I'll read Genesis 3.15 again. And the Lord God, Genesis 3.15, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. We want to look at this from four perspectives. First of all, we want to see that this glorious promise is something that was established in eternity. Secondly, it was revealed in time. Third, it was witnessed to this day. And fourth, it will culminate in Jesus' return. In some sense, we're going to be taking a 30,000 foot view of all that is transpired from the beginning of time, before time, until the end of time concerning this very promise. Well, I want us to turn, first of all, to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Paul is writing this letter uh, to his spiritual son. And he, he wants to encourage Timothy and the churches. And I think it reflects upon this truth of our first point. That this promise of God regarding the gospel is something that has its origin, its roots, all the way back to eternity itself. Look at verse 1. Paul understands this, and, and it's part of his confidence as an apostle and his hope for eternity. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. We know because of that fall, we're going to consider of Adam and Eve, there was death. There was no more life. But the promise of life came in Christ Jesus. Now go to verse 9. He's talking about God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose in grace, which were given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This promise that we're going to see unfolded for us in that moment of time in Genesis when hope ceased to exist, as it were, for a moment, has its origin in eternity, in the heart of God. And Paul, for the comfort of Timothy and and for the church of God, wants us to know the certainty of the salvation that is to be found in the one who is coming, who will crush evil, the head of the evil one and the devil himself. This seems to be a great 
source of encouragement and assurance for the Apostle Paul. Who a few verses is going to say, I know whom I have believed in or whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him unto the last day. I think the Apostle Paul had grown in his understanding through the experience of his life as a Christian. There was absolutely nothing that could come in his life or in the world around him that could disturb and disrupt and change this glorious gospel promise found in Jesus Christ. He realized that he could have done nothing and had did nothing to earn the favor of God. It was only by what God had done and what God was doing. And the root of this, Paul is saying, is because I have been given to Jesus Christ before the world's began. That's his confidence. That's his assurance, his strength, as he looks toward an uncertain future. And this truth that God is the author of salvation is is not a new thought with the Apostle Paul. Jesus himself, when he is praying in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he says, Father, the hour is come, glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before The world was. The father who we heard of this morning loved his son from before time. There was no moment of time the son did not exist with the father. He loved him with an eternal love. Later in John 17, he will say, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me for the love thou lovest me before the foundation of the world we read genesis 3 a tragedy that happened a fall beyond description in words we we experience the misery of that fall till today all the degeneracy and all the pain and suffering that we see in our world today and we experience ourselves has its origin in many respects there at that moment of time when our first parents ate of that tree. But this moment of time did not take our God by surprise. When our parents fell, God comes calmly meticulously, intentionally, lovingly as a father to meet with a fallen son and daughter. Paul affirms these things when he says in Ephesians 1 verse 4, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation 
of the world. And later in chapter 3, he will go on to say, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. The intention of God was to reveal even through the fall, more of who he was in his glory and his majesty and his mercy and his grace. In other words, what I'm saying to you is we know these things because God has shown them to us. He's revealed them to us through his word and through Jesus Christ. And so therefore we may know if we are in Christ by saving faith, there is absolutely nothing that can alter, that can change his faithfulness to his gospel promise. And dear believer, your salvation is secure in Christ. The victory of which we're going to be talking about a battle that is forthcoming from the fall is in many respects from eternity already a victory over sin and hell and death. We wouldn't know this without revelation. And it needs to be carried out, yes, in time. But a basis of this word is on the word of our God himself. And even though this was God's plan from before time, God reveals it to us at the moment of our need. And that brings us to the second thing we need to consider from this passage here. Now we're, we're getting into Genesis 3.15 particularly. The gospel is enclosed here in the curse. It's revealed at that moment in time. It begins here at Genesis 3.15, after the fall, when God comes walking in the garden and speaks. So let's turn back to this chapter. We find Adam and Eve, who, who had been created good and upright, knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. They were in communion with their God. He was their father. He spoke to them, and they spoke to him. They were in the image of God. They had a free will to follow in the ways of the Lord with this promise of God. You will have life. But with this command, do not eat of this single and only tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, the, no, the devil, we know, children who... who who had sinned against God, who had been cast out of heaven, came down to seek and destroy man, this crown of God's creation. Satan wanted to mar the work of God. But God had an entirely different plan. It was to reveal more of who he truly is. We know that when Adam and Eve believed the lie of the devil, immediately their eyes were opened. 
They saw they were naked. They, they tried to cover their nakedness. They tried to run away now from God, who they had only known as being good. And this nakedness was not only a sight of the physical nakedness that they would have seen, but they were exposed to the horror of their own corruption, of having departed from God, who was only good. And now they encountered guilt and fear and and hatred and, and so many other things that they had never known before. All of us, to one degree or another, are experiencing the remnants of the result of this fall. How many of us struggle with guilt or fear or confusion or hatred? And so many other results of this beginning of our first parents. And they try to cover themselves when they hear God's voice. He's coming. He's going to see us. He's going to know what we did. And they cover themselves with fig leaves and flee from his presence. Now I want us to notice something that's happening in this passage. God does not come down into the garden to destroy them. It's not his intention. But he is going to set before them this glorious promise that we're looking at tonight. That's going to carry us from this moment of time of the entry of the curse to the very last moment. It is completed and fulfilled and all evil is excluded from the kingdom of God and of glory. God doesn't go looking behind every tree for his son and daughter. No, we hear God speaking, calling for his son. We heard that this morning of who God is as father and his role as father in many respects is ongoing till today. He's he's coming through the voice of his son even to proclaim the gospel to us, to call us back to himself. And in this first word that came to our first parents was, where are you? Why are you hiding from me? It's an effective call. It's a powerful call. Adam and Eve can no longer stay hidden. He hears, Adam does, God's voice. It enters his heart, I suspect, and he, he obeys. He comes forth from his hiding And today there are those sinners who are still hiding from God. Perhaps some here as well. And when you hear his voice, conviction of guilt and of maybe even condemnation, you pick up his word, you hear his word proclaimed, you hear others speaking to you about needing to know the Lord Jesus Christ and your own heart speaks. The voice of God is speaking through his word. The same kind of thing that's happening here in the garden. Perhaps some of you have shaken off this word. You have tried to ignore this word. You've gone on your way, continued in your sin. It doesn't mean we hear an audible voice as Adam and Eve would have heard, but When we hear the gospel proclaimed, we are in essence hearing the Son of God proclaiming to us. This is the message from the only true God. 
Have you heard the same voice, as it were, in a sermon, in, in reading the word? It resonates. It convicts you. It speaks to you. It uncovers you. It exposes you. That's a convicting work of God by his spirit through his word. And God here is doing the same thing with, with his children. How do you know you're naked? He asks them this question. Notice the answer. Adam, at that moment, isn't, it seems to me, very repentant. What does he do? He doesn't fall on his face and confess his sin. He doesn't know at this point the promise of the gospel to come, this redemption and forgiveness and reconciliation. Oh, we can't deny his sin. He knows God sees him in it, but he couches his answer in an excuse. The woman, the woman you gave me, she gave me to be with me and she gave me the tree, its fruit, and I, I ate it. That's not a genuine confession. Oh, he did say I ate it. He couldn't deny it. And then he turns to Eve. And what does Eve do, children? She does the same thing. When God confronts Eve with her sin, she says, well, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat on the face of it. Not a genuine repentant person. No hating of sin. No falling on our face in worship or adoration of God. You see, they didn't know the gospel. Here they are, confronted with sin, condemned. And notice what God does. He immediately... After Eve says, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat, verse 14, the Lord God turned as it were and said to the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. You know, when a sinner is convinced and convicted by the word of God, it doesn't mean that they come to genuine repentance. They may cover their guilt. They may run away from their guilt. They may confess it to escape some kind of punishment. But it's only when they understand also that God is a God who is ready to receive returning sinners that they flee for pardon, that they go to the cross of Christ to receive reconciliation through him. When we are not assured today of the reality that this same one who came as it were walking in the garden in the cool of the day and his voice goes out in compassion and kindness. Where are you? And a promise of gospel, even though it's enclosed in a curse, a promise of the glorious truth that I will come. I will gain the victory. There's no hope for us. What's contained in this promise in verse 15 is what God is going to do. A God who delights in mercy and in grace. And this is the wonder of salvation. God shows to our first parents immediately after their fall 
into this grievous sin that destroyed the whole of the human race, there will be and there is a way back to me. There is reconciliation. Eternal life is possible, but not in you. It will be in the seed who comes. And I will bring it to pass, God says. This is my promise. God is revealing as he's turned here, as it were, speaking to the serpent, what his curse is going to be. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed, her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Therein is contained this glorious promise of the seed who was coming, Jesus The Lord is addressing the devil himself in this first gospel promise. A curse to him, but a message of the gospel to Adam and Eve and to us. God is now unveiling what we saw in our first point, which was determined from eternity. There is going to be enmity between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And God will bring it to pass. God is not turning to Adam and says to to Adam, well, I'll forgive you this time just once, but don't eat from that tree again. No. The approach to God is cut off. Death entered the life of Adam and Eve. But God was going to open a new and living way through the seed of the woman. The second Adam. God was going to bring about this seed of the woman who will be born to defeat the seed of the serpent. Jesus Christ, the second Adam. And by these words, the battle lines, as it were, are drawn for the rest of history. I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. And therefore, in Genesis 3.15, we can see God is revealing to us. He's uncovering for us the very seed form of the covenant of grace. And he doesn't do this by consulting with Adam and Eve and go, I don't really know what to do here. I think we'll try this remedy. (laughs) He's determined from all eternity to show himself as a God who even in his own very being will give his own son to redeem people who have rebelled and sinned against him. Because we know this seed of the woman ultimately points us to Christ. And we can add that since Christ is the head of all of his people, all of his people, all the children of faith, the children of Adam, are included, as it were, in this seed of the woman. It's through Christ, the church. It's through Christ, the believer, will be able to crush the head of sin. To put to death the old man, the remaining sin that is in us that we find rearing its ugly head day by day in this seed promise. In the curse to the serpent is the gospel. 
to us. And what God is saying in this promise, that the history of the world from this day forward will be a war unto death, a spiritual conflict between faith and unbelief, between righteousness and sin, between God and those who rebel against him. And ultimately, of course, it's speaking of Christ, who is the seed, singular here, of the woman. Though he is going to be bitten in the heel, as it were, though he's going to be mocked and ridiculed and nailed to the cross and bitten, as it were, in his heel, he will die. He will suffer the pangs of hell. He will enter the grave. But on the third day, he crushes. Defeats completely evil and sin and death and hell and the devil. So that every one of those who belong to him are raised with him in newness of life. In anticipation, we ought therefore to have our eyes fixed on him who is coming again. And we know that Adam and Eve believed this gospel promise. I think for two reasons. We can see that they laid hold upon it. First is in verse 21, where Adam and also to his wife, the Lord made coats of skin and clothed them. The fig leaves had to go. And God's remedy, shedding of blood, came in its place. But then secondly, of course, we know Adam... Having heard this word, he then immediately says, and my wife's name, verse 20, will be Eve. She is the mother of all living. What a confidence. Oh, that confidence was tested, tested by their first son indeed. But God raised up another and another and another until we come to the man himself. The seed himself, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we we see here in this passage, centered in eternity, God reveals it in time. And this is witnessed from the time of Jesus all the way till this present day and shall be till his coming again. This gospel promise was laid hold on by Adam and Eve. They They named their first son, a man-child from the Lord, Cain. But he killed his brother, and yet God raised up another, Seth. And John, the apostle, says of Cain, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew him? Because his works were evil, and his brothers righteous. This battle immediately begins within the family of our first parents. It continues throughout the history of the Old Testament and even at the time of Jesus till today. But throughout that whole period, what we find is that the children of God, the people of God are looking for the fulfillment, the realization of this revealed promise. The Old Testament women were looking for this man-child, this seed of the woman who would be the deliverer. Many deliverers in 
and in some sort or manner came. You have Moses, you have Joshua, you have David, and many others who came. But none was this seed. So as we reflect on that Old Testament for a moment, they lived with anticipation. They lived with an expectancy on this gospel promise. Are we? Are we living today in all that's happening in our world and all that's happening in the churches and in our own lives, living with this same kind of expectation with regard to what God is doing and has done? Because it's not based on what we do or have done. And yet he calls us, if we have tasted of who he is, in light of this gospel promise and sending his son, Jesus Christ, we are called to express our lives in living gratitude and joy for what he's done for us. And live in light of this conflict that he has set up from the very beginning, knowing that we cannot win in the conflict, will not accomplish a single battle or a single foe without him, the seed, who will crush the head of the evil one. And when we look around us and we see what's happening in our world and in our country, in the halls of Congress, we see the seed of the serpent. At work, we see the corruption working its way like a leaven in our society. But again, it's not just out there. It's a battle that, in some respects, is waged within the believer between flesh and spirit. Between sin, old man, and the new creature. If we are in Christ Jesus. And the question for us is, in our lives, whose side of this conflict are we on? It's either we are included in this gospel promise or we are not. And to which side do you belong? To belong to the church is not an automatic inclusion in in the seed of the woman. Jesus made that very clear. He said to the religious people of his day, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. And I tell you the truth, but you believe me not. Have we believed this gospel promise? Is it our confidence and our strength and our hope? What helps us to wake up on Monday morning as we face a new work week, as we face the challenges that may be existing in our own life to put off sin and to put on righteousness? The battle lines are clearly drawn. God is gathering in his church. He did that in the Old Testament. Yes, among his people primarily, but Gentiles were gathered in. Rahab and Ruth and after the coming of our Christ... This glorious promise is understood to be to all the nations, to all people, 
that the head of the devil will be defeated and the gospel cause will go forth with victory in the rider of the white horse. Think of those great conflicts that are set before us. Children in the Old Testament, one of the great conflicts is the children of Israel in Egypt in bondage. Egypt serving their gods and Israel is falteringly claiming and clinging to the God of Abraham. And then Moses comes. And he speaks of this God who's called them out of Egypt and calling them to the promised land. And God sends these plagues and this battle, if you will, this cosmic battle of the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent are waging war. And finally, when we get to the Red Sea, Egypt, a defeated host, is covered with water. And what happens at the time of Jesus? God had been silent for a number of years. And the Holy Spirit overshadows Mary. She's with child and brings him forth on Christmas Day. And Herod. Herod probably knows nothing about the meaning of Genesis 3.15. But in the heart of Herod, a very wicked man... He's determined to have no opposition. He must kill all these infant children. The seed of the woman. This cosmic battle in which is being engaged and the enmity of Herod is seen. And probably this enmity is no more seen than at the time of Christ. When our Lord worked, walked upon the earth, think of those who opposed him. Think of those who hated him. How they mocked him. How they beat him. How they crucified him. And yet Jesus clearly, it seems, distinguishes in many respects Understanding this enmity and hatred coming even out of the people who said, crucify him, crucify him. And even the soldiers who laid hands on him and to bring him to Golgotha. What is our Lord's prayer? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Here we see the very heart of God as Jesus is going to fulfill this very promise of Genesis 3.15. His heart as the heart of God exposed even in the garden is exposed to us there in the hill Golgotha. And the enmity has reached its apex, its peak in many ways in killing the Son of God on the cross. And what is Jesus praying today for you? Father, Father, we heard that this morning. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. 
Some here don't know who Jesus is. They don't know the enmity of their own hearts. They continue to think falsely about the one we have heard of even this morning. Father, gracious Father Jesus saying, forgive them. And for those who know Christ, must he also pray for us? Father, forgive them. They're not living as if this promise is true. They're not living each day as if I've come. As if I've not given my life a sacrifice. As if I'm not risen from the dead. As if I'm not seated in heaven itself. As if I'm not ruling over all the the things that are happening in this world and in the lives of my children. Father, forgive them. Father, prepare my children more and more for that day in which this battle shall become so evident. Everyone on earth will see it. We'll be on one side or the other. Dear Church of God, when we read the book of Revelation, even though we may not understand all the details of this book, there's, there's one thing that comes crystal clear to us as we read it. It's the fulfillment of this glorious promise. Christ is victor. At the end of all, he reigns over all. He rules over all. He's judge over all. And he surrenders all into the hands of his Father. There will be no more seed of the serpent who will trouble the seed of the woman as they gather around the throne. And the enmity that we see pictured here in Genesis 3.15, and we see even till this day, who are persecuting the seed of the woman, who are the children of God, shall be no more. God in his marvelous wisdom has given at the cross a symbol of death and destruction there at the cross This very promise is fulfilled. Satan crushes the head of the devil. It's this reality, church, therefore, that is awaiting you. The fulfillment of what Jesus himself knows and experiences even to this day. That's the last thing I consider briefly with you is this promise. An Advent gospel enclosed in this curse is awaiting the grand final hour in which it is completely fulfilled. This constant battle will be ongoing against principalities, against powers and wickedness in high places. And yet Christ says to us, when these things begin to pass, then look up. Lift up your heads. Your redemption draws nigh. Christ is saying in essence to his people and his church. You are going to be assaulted on every side. You are called by me to do battle as the captain of the army. Against Satan. Against your own flesh. And when you see the events that I have foretold to John my servant. 
coming to pass. No. As Paul says in Romans 16, 20. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The God of our, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. No doubt Paul says this to encourage the church. God is going to shortly do this. And I wonder if his thoughts are not somewhat directed back to Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Shortly, it will come to pass. And what a day will be, dear believer, when Christ will take his children and seat them on thrones to judge even devils. To confine them to the eternal abyss crushing ultimately their head forever. God has it upon his eternal heart to save the seed of the woman who will serve him in Christ. And he's accomplished it. And he will fulfill it on that last day. And God has determined that the good news that he's proclaimed here, concealed as it were, and crouched in this curse, this good news be proclaimed throughout all the earth, all the nations. Come, whosoever you might be, come and drink of the well of this water of life freely. And I encourage you to go back this week and read Revelation 12. You'll hear about and you'll read about this war that's being waged In the last verse, you read about the dragon and this old serpent. And it says of him, he was wroth, he was enraged. And this is the enmity mentioned here. He was wroth with the woman, went to make war with the remnant of her seed, the seed of the woman. And they are said to be those that keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. The call that we have in light of this Advent gospel is be faithful to him who called you. And that's not because we have the strength and we have the ability to crush the head. No. It's in the fact that he has come, he has crushed the head of the serpent, and we are now called in his strength to go forward, to battle, to labor. Eventually, when you come to chapter 20 and you read in verse 10 of Revelation, and the devil and them that were deceived were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented night and day forever. Satan knows his time is brief. We're told that by God himself. And knowing that his time is brief, should it be any wonder to us that we see what is transpiring in our world today? Genesis 3.15 is being fulfilled. 
And so the question we have to go into this week is this. Of which seed do you belong? The wonder is that God is still doing what he did from the very first moment of the fall. He's putting enmity between these two seeds. And he uses his word and spirit to call, as he did Adam and Eve, those who are in sin to come to him for forgiveness, for reconciliation, to be the seed of the woman. And when dead sinners who hear the voice of the Son of God and live, they find in him all they need. He is the conqueror. He is the victor. He is the savior. He is the one who's now seated on the throne. And God turns what the devil thought he had done at the beginning here and turned it on its head for the greater glory of God. For rather than man now simply existing in some kind of earthly paradise living forever, it is Christ who is the center, the seed of the woman. And now those who are in him never, never, never shall fall again. Never shall have their heel bitten with sin. Never fall again. Because God fulfills his Advent gospel promise. Let's pray. Our gracious God, help us to know this glorious truth and to live it. Help us to lay hold upon its truth even when we find perhaps the battle raging within us strongly. Help us to look by faith to the seed of the woman who has come and conquered and defeated hell and death, sin, grave, devil himself. And even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So be with us in this week. Help us to walk faithfully to the calling that we have and to minister to others around us this same gospel word. Remember those who are seed of the serpent. Grant, Lord, that thy glorious truth would open those eyes that are closed and ears that are stopped and to hear the glorious song of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.